Hi, hello, and welcome to K Out and About, a podcast about my random travel occurrences. This is season one, episode two, the biggest one. This week's podcast is coming to you from London, where I spent almost 11 years working like a crazy person to earn money, to then spend it on traveling, of course. Today, I'll be sharing with you the trip that had the biggest impact on me. I have recorded this episode quite a few times, and not just for practice. Uh, this one turned out to be a little bit close to home, and uh, my voice was breaking when I was talking about certain things. It has been over 15 years since that trip, and I still remember so many of the smallest details. I, I don't think I remember trips I took two years ago that well. In today's world, it may seem to most of you like nothing special, but for me, it was. Um, and I have traveled before, don't get me wrong. And that was uh, on a completely different scale, though. To give you a background story to understand better, um, if someone in the 90s wanted to travel from Poland to, say, Spain or Greece... You had to get on a bus. That meant almost a two-day journey, and you could either sleep in a cheap hotel one night on the way or spend six to eight hours sightseeing um, a city like Venice or Geneva. You traveled in a bus full of 30, 40 people to spend two weeks on a fully packed schedule to see as much as you could because those two weeks were likely to, you know, not to repeat, really. Uh, You went on the trip with an assumption, okay, this is one-in-a-lifetime deal, so I have to make the most of it. And I traveled whenever I could. My parents would let me go with anyone who was going abroad. My uncle, my uncle's ex-wife, a friend from school and her parents, although they have met them like maybe twice before. And all that because they knew otherwise I I wouldn't be able to go um, anywhere or at least not as much because it was quite expensive at the time. So when my mom found out about this work and travel program in the States, some of her friends' daughters did, uh, she signed me up uh, without even fucking asking me first. The idea was that during um, three to four months in the summer, I was supposed to work in the Grand Canyon National Park. Um, I chose that one uh, myself uh, with a special student visa. And I don't think I fully understood what was going on. I was dealing with a shitty breakup, wasn't paying attention to any of the plans, and I was busy at uni. One thing I remember, though, was queuing to the embassy to first do the application and then to pick up my passport with a visa. And the queuing, that was four or five hours standing outside the embassy because you didn't really get into the embassy. The desk where you leave your application when you were then picking up your passport, that was all just um, after the gate outside the building. And I think it was when we were... Well, when I was standing to to apply, there was this guy, um, an embassy employee. He went outside. He came outside with some guests he had, and they were talking about, oh, yeah, so, well, this is a normal thing every day, you know, this queue, because so many people just want to come to our country. And that just felt so annoying, so patronizing. Ah. But then suddenly in June 2001, I found myself on a flight to New York via Helsinki. I don't think I even slept on that plane. Um, I normally do, but not this time. New York itself was very overwhelming, um, if you can actually say it like that. Uh, To me, I didn't really enjoy it. It was way too much for someone like me to digest. The heat outside and then the freezing aircon everywhere inside, it drove me mad. There wasn't a place for me where I wanted to stay longer than five minutes. 
the, the prices. Oh, my God, they were not the real prices. There was a secret tax I had no idea about. And I had no money to spend on irrelevant things. Um, I had altogether, I think, $500, and I still had to get to uh, the Grand Canyon. So I had to keep my sightseeing in check. It got limited in the end to Central Park, you know, because it's free. And I got lost there like three times. I didn't realize how big it was. Um, and from all the high rooftops in New York, um, I have picked the World Trade Center. I remember there was a photo corner, like a photo booth, uh, where you could take a picture, for example, balancing on a wire between the towers. And I wouldn't have even noticed it, but a group of Asian guys suddenly called me over and for some mysterious reason, they wanted me in the picture. I don't know in the end which uh, picture they have chosen. Uh, there is a slight chance I'm on, in someone's photo album, actually. <laughs> but the guy who was running the booth um, after the, the guys were gone, he told me that I could give it a try with different setups. And if I like them, I can buy it. And if not, obviously, you know, no hard feelings. And for some reason, I picked a setup that shows me falling down with the towers in the background. Yes. And I bought it because the picture looked amazing. Until this day, it gives me the creeps looking at it. Because my mom insisted uh, on putting it up on the wall in our kitchen. Luckily, if I sit on my spot, I don't have to look at it. Everyone else has to. <laughs> Uh, then, oh my God, then the almost three-day-long ride to Vegas on a Greyhound bus, which also belongs to quite lasting memories. I mean, I cannot even explain the shock after shock I encountered on that bus ride. The few things I remember, some of it got me uh, frustrated. The first lesson I learned was the aircon again, the, the freezing aircon on the bus. I had to beg the driver on the first stop to allow me to get to my backpack so I could change my clothes because I was just wearing shorts and a, and a T-shirt, that's it, because it was hot outside. But the pinnacle of surprises, um, and people who know me will understand why, it was the lack of fucking tea. Everywhere we stopped, liters of coffee, free refills, which I don't drink coffee. But try to get a tea. People looked at me as if I was a weirdo, and I could not, for the love of me, understand why those places don't provide the most basic drink I could think of. Also, getting on the bus and finding a seat was a mission. I got to the bus a little bit, well, a little bit late, um, and I had to find a spot next to someone because um, everything else was taken. And so, obviously, I was looking around the bus, and I picked a guy who looked like the most innocent one. And because some of the women actually um, looked a little bit intimidating to me. And it turned out the guy was from, I think, Czech Republic. Um, and we, we did get to talk for a little bit. He was also on a work and travel program. Uh, but he got off after a few hours, I think. And then, um, and this is a story about me being a total uh, racist. And then on the next stop, I was kind of waiting because, you know, there's an empty seat next to me. So I'm just sitting there and waiting who, who I'm going to be sitting next to, who's going to pick my, uh, my seat. And there's this big black dude in a jumpsuit that looked at the seat and decided to sit next to me. And I froze. I was terrified at the beginning. And then it turned out it was the most fun I had. Um, we got talking for about eight hours. Um, he was just coming back from, I think, Germany. He was studying to be, uh, to be a doctor. 
so we got talking about medicine. Um, I had my I had my pills for my thyroid. So he was he took out this massive book of medicines in the United States, and he started looking for whatever pills I was taking, and you know trying to see what it is, and you know what my problems were. It was really interesting. I still remember his name. His name was Darwin because he was quite proud um, of being named after a scientist. And I asked him at some point, like, why did you pick the seat next to me? And he told me that he looked at me and I looked so lost and so vulnerable. And he thought, you know, he'll he'll give me some company and make me feel a little bit safer. And I was like, Jesus. And I felt so terrified. And to give you as well the, the picture of me on that journey. Um, I was 22 at the time. I think, yeah, I was 22. And however, I looked like a terrified 17-year-old. I did have pigtails because it's quite, it's more comfortable if you're on a bus, you know, and you have to sleep in your seat, you know, you, you have to think about, you know, what to do with your hair. So I chose pigtails and he decided, yeah, he thought I was a, some lost child that needed some comforting, but it was, it was fun. It was really, um, I really enjoy that. Then I got to Vegas. Um, I was staying overnight uh, in a motel, very off the strip, because of course I couldn't afford anything else. And wow, what a difference between one of the most filmed streets in the world um, and the alleys like one block away. It's a different world. Um, and this is where I had my first gun encounter. Nothing dangerous, don't get me wrong. Nobody was pointing a gun at me. Um, but there was this guard at the motel who was carrying a weapon. And I have never seen a gun in my life. And believe me, it did not make me feel safe. My logic was, the guy has a gun. What has to be going on in the area for the guy to have a gun? And it's one of those things that, you know, you see in the movies, but you know it's fiction. And I didn't realize at the time that having a gun in the States was, you know, sort of a normal thing. And, it, you know, topic of possessing a gun was never on my radar. It's not really an issue around Europe generally. Like average people just don't have guns, don't have access to guns, um, as simple as that. So seeing it at a place where I was supposed to sleep freaked me out. Um, I am a little bit digressing. We still didn't get to the biggest thing of the trip, but I wanted to kind of show you what, what kind of a shock it was to me to, to kind of get there. Um, and, you know, the things that were adding to the general um, shock, cultural shock of this trip. The moment was when I stood at the rim of the Grand Canyon, realizing where I was and the journey I just had behind me to get there. That changed me, I think, forever, really. Um, it was less than a week that I left home and I have started this trip and I have experienced so many things, more things than on any other trip before. And I don't know if you ever stood at the rim of the Grand Canyon. And I'm, I'm sure, of course, there are many other places in the world that would have similar impact on other people. Like, for example, I had a very similar feeling with Machu Picchu in, in Peru. What I mean is when you take the greatness of it, the size, the, the sheer hugeness of what you're looking at, you know, what opens in front of your eyes and almost swallows you whole, it's breathtaking you realize how small and insignificant you are, and not just in comparison to nature. For me, it was the, the insignificance of my own persona and the fact that I made it, me. I made the journey to see that incredible view, me and nobody was standing there and just looking at it. Um, and from that moment on, 
there was really nothing I couldn't do, that feeling that, you know, there's no place I couldn't travel to, really. Of course, in theory, um, travel requires money, not necessarily a fortune, but still. And a career in travel wasn't really an option. Remember, it was 2001, I lived in Poland, possibilities were limited, to say the least, or I just didn't hear about them, I, I might have not been aware I did make sure uh, to get a travel guide license, for example, and later in life I did uh, I did do a course in airline and travel studies, but I never really worked within the industry. Some bits here and there, like, I don't know, hotel night manager, freelance tour guide, and a timeshare call center. Yes, timeshare call center. Um, and I do often think that many young people these days um, are a lot more aware of what's going on than I ever was at their age. Part of it is, of course, access to internet. At the time I was in Grand Canyon, um, we were we only had internet at the library and you had to make an appointment in advance just to get 20 minutes, you know, to check your emails and to reply to them. So I think in my three, four months that I've been there, I don't know, I might have been uh, at a computer, I don't know, four times maybe. <laughs> but I knew one thing, I needed to travel more. And I think from there it kind of went. I kept in touch uh, with people that I met there, although... Now it's more limited to birthday wishes and Facebook and, you know, things like that. But it was actually thanks to the people I met there that I ended up living for almost a year in Costa Rica. And I must say, Costa Rican men are still in the highest numbers in my international portfolio, if you know what I mean. Anyway, um, I think after that, making a decision about packing up and just moving to a different country is not that big of a deal anymore. Six months later, for example, I was in Sheffield studying. Then um, the next summer, it was another program in the States. Then I lived for almost a year in Costa Rica. I lived some months in Spain, then almost a year in Vienna, um, almost 11 years in London, and now I live in Sweden. And I, I uh, do want to tell you about the crazy characters I met in Grand Canyon, because some of those stories are really amazing. And uh, those people had lasting impact on me. Our road trips, uh, toga parties, watermelon parties, and people from the States will know what I mean. Um, watching thunderstorms over the North Rim, hiking down the canyon, and some weird medicine woman who was trying to tell me my future at one of the parties. But I do need to go that, mem that, that memory lane and, and get those stories together first, um, and then I'll share them with you, because I really do want to. Some of those, um, uh, some, some of those stories are quite funny. So, well, that's it for today. I am trying to record some interviews uh, with my friend that live here in London, with my friends. Um, however, it turns out to be a little bit more tricky than I thought. Uh, if I get to record them, I'm planning to share them with you, of course. Uh, the next episode is titled The Struggles. Um, thank you for listening and um, until next time.